that whole year after I found out what happened was just a blur. I don't remember it. I think maybe subconsciously I suppressed it because I didn't know how to deal with it or I didn't want to accept what had happened. But she was a mess. She really just was... We are not a society prepared to deal with grief. And part of that comes from our innate nature to want to fix things. You know, especially in America, we're a society of fixers. We're used to getting better. We're being, you know, sold all kinds of stuff to make us better. But nothing prepares us for when it doesn't. That's my business. Mom, if you're living alone, having conversations with ghosts, that's my business too. People on morning can sometimes experience hallucinations or what we call perceptual phenomenon. And there was Bernard. He's just standing there. They're reporting an actual human experience that's part of our empirical world as well. Every country and every society and every culture has records of these type of encounters occurring. Why are you proposing these things? Because you'll never measure them. And if you can't measure them, then are they science? This is more of a, a, a dimension that I'm not comfortable with. If people don't want their own view of reality shaken, I think we should not push them beyond it. Okay. I am welcoming today the director and executive producer of the new documentary, Living with Ghosts. This is Anchor Podcasts Orb Magic. My name is Dr. Christina Rawls, and we are going to talk today with Stephen Berkeley. Hello, Stephen. Can you hear me? Trailer to your new documentary, Living with Ghosts, and I want to thank you for being here today. Stephen Berkeley, and the name of the documentary is Living with Ghosts. And I think, Christina, what you had asked me is how I got into all this, how this all came about. Well, it came about when my father passed. He died in 2011, and I went down to Florida to bury him with my mother, and uh, it was it was kind of odd because the, we had a neighbor. My mother had a neighbor named Ethel, and she came over to the house, and she told my mother that, Sai, your husband, has contacted me. It was a very odd thing. It was, it was something that I just learned about for the first time, that my mother's neighbor and bridge partner had been doing automatic writing with her own husband for 12 years. And she apparently... My deceased father got in touch with uh, neighbors, the neighbor and bridge partner's name is Ethel. So Ethel's, my father got in touch with Ethel's husband and said, I want to contact Irene. That's my mother. So it's always a very convoluted and strange story. It was my brothers were kind of wigged out. It's like, why is this kooky lady coming over and, and making my mother mother this offer so soon after my father passed? Of course, my mother was not interested at all in, in, in anything that had to do with after-death communication. She really just wanted her husband back, and she was a mess. And she had 
started going to, she rejected the offer and she started going to grief counselors. She saw a therapist and she saw, she told her doctor um, that she wasn't sure how to get through her grief. And there was not really much that was helping her. She did all the conventional things you're supposed to do when someone dies. Nothing was really helping. But she remembered what Ethel had said about my father coming through to her. And she also noticed that her lights were blinking in her house. So although she was an absolute mess, as, as expected, from the loss of her husband after 60 years, the one thing that gave her some peace in her day, which got her through to the next day, was this feeling like my dad was still around. Unfortunately, her grief counselor, her clergyman, her doctor, her friends all told my mom that she was living in denial, that she shouldn't be doing this. This was a short-sighted solution to a long-term issue. And so my mother decided to kind of just, you know, just not do anything like that. She would not to, not to commune with the dead if it was if it was denial and everybody around her was saying it was denial, she didn't want to be in denial. But I, I guess intuitively, I felt there was something wrong with that. There was something that didn't make sense to me about that because if this gave her some peace, why not? And then I did a little bit of research and I found out that 50 years ago, 1971, a guy named Dewey Reese, a doctor in, in the UK, um, did a study with like 500 500 widows and widowers in Wales. And he discovered that about half of them had these kind of visits. Sometimes there were blinking lights. Sometimes they were physical, like the person actually had a visual of the person. Sometimes they just smelled the person, but they were all, these were all considered contacts. And if half the people 50 years ago was having this experience why is this something that's discouraged today? Because it's, it was because of these experiences 50 years ago that gave rise to what's now in the DSM. That's the um, yep. Diagnostic Statistical, Diagnostic Manual, Statistical that Manual. Use, yep. <laughs> uh, that there's something called normal hallucinations. And which is kind of a funny term because it sounds like an oxymoron, right? A normal hallucination is is... It doesn't make any sense. Either something's hallucination or it's normal, but it can't be both. Anyway, there's something called normal hallucinations in the DSM, and doctors are basically cautioned about pathologizing these kind of visits. They're not people are not supposed to pathologize this. This is a normal occurrence. And so if this is normal, it made me question why the doctors, the grief counselors, the clergymen were discouraging my mother from experimenting yeah, with the yeah. unseen. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to give everyone a little bit of a um, feeling for uh, why we're doing this today on this Anchor podcast. Um, I am an evidential medium, and my full-time job now is to help people connect with their post-material loved ones on the quote-unquote other side, as we say. So um, just a little pause there, but go ahead, Stephen. <laughs> okay. I, I think it was just saying that it was out of a, a sense of injustice that the film was born. I felt that 
the people in my mother's life that were discouraging her from having any kind of post-mortem relationship with my father were misguided. And, you know, just based on cursory research, I didn't actually have to contact that many people to find a professor who said, no, this is, you know, we've known this. We've known that people have these visits routinely. I think the statistics have ranged somewhere between 50% and 90%, depending on which study in which part of the country or part of the world you're referring to. But it's been all over the place, uh, these visits, and they're of quite a high percentage of, of not only widows and widowers, but the population are having these kind of contact. No, um, I was just, you know, this has been around in history for all of time. Plato used to talk about it in the Republic. And um, as a philo former philosophy professor, I just, the history is there. Um, we've, you know, been studying now seances, for example, for 200 years. Um, so in general, the history is there. You're correct. It's not hard to find. And um, the problem might be more along the lines of our current paradigm, because if you start doing homework about the, you know, the people who study this on the scientific level, there are scientists, um, philosophers, uh, psychologists who study these experiences in the laboratory. And, uh, you know, I get photographs of orbs with repeatability every time I take photos and the physicist Klaus Heinemann has now proven that these might be spirit emanations. He's done clean room experiments and he's a NASA contracted physicist. So there's a lot here to talk about. But can I ask you then what like how what did you learn? And can you talk about the therapy that you then made the documentary about and what you learned about the therapy? Sure. Um, I was interviewing widows and. Uh, various parts of the country. And I really did not know how this documentary was going to end. It was the daughter of one of the widows that I was in contact with had found a therapy that was going on at the, it was being studied at the University of North Texas. The, the therapy itself is called induced after death communication. And the therapists that administer this procedure don't actually like to call it that by that name. They're actually considering changing the name because it, it's a bit of a misnomer. They're not really trying to contact the dead. What they're trying to do is to reestablish a relationship with the deceased as part of it, as a therapeutic process. It just so happens as a consequence of this therapy, very often people are getting these contacts with the deceased, either a visual contact, an auditory contact, an olfactory contact, but they're getting it. They're perceiving the presence of their deceased. Um, but in terms of the uh, what, what was most, uh, I would say, eye-opening for me in terms of finding this therapy was that it has a 70% success rate. I don't know that many therapies that have a 70% success rate. Yeah. Uh, this one does. Yeah. At least 70% of the time, People go into the therapist's office. There's, there's basically there's, there's two, two ninety-minute sessions. Usually, it's over a weekend. Sometimes spaced out over a week apart. But it's just two ninety-minute sessions where the therapist first finds out where the core sadness is 
in the sitter, the individual. Almost, it's, a, it's very much a trauma therapy. It's based on the the therapy is derived from EMDR. A lot of people know what that is. Um, I movement, movement desensitization, reprocessing. That's right. But it's a trauma therapy. That's right. <laughs> that uh, this induced after death communication is based on, and the idea is you get to the core sadness, just like you try to get to the core trauma, that memory that keeps the person traumatized. You get to the core sadness, and then you do something called bilateral stimulation, where you stimulate both sides of the brain, sometimes it's by moving your eyes back and forth, sometimes it's by tapping the, uh, both sides of the body. But by using the bilateral stimulation in conjunction with reliving the, the, the horror of the death, you're moving, you move the trauma from the emotional centers of your brain to the, I would say, I guess the reading or the, the thought part of your brain. And by moving, by moving the trauma, you're able to assimilate it. It becomes all of you instead of it just being locked in one little ball inside your brain. But what's interesting about that is also hemisync. Hemisync is a type of therapy that goes bilaterally between hemispheres also. And we know from the Monroe Institute and similar research institutions that hemisync actually induces supernatural and psi experiences. And so there is a nice connection here because it's going to, well, the hard part is, is it might put pharmaceutical companies out of business, right? Which is, which is the, the really um, interesting part. Um, because like you said, that kind of success rate in only a weekend is absolutely um, incredible for the people who are trying to heal and that level of pain and grief they experience. Um, so, uh, but it's good, you know, there will be a lot of business individuals uh, oriented who want to keep it away from the public because there's no money in it. Um, and as somebody who's um, written on philosophy of film and published on philosophy of film, I just, we've had a talk, you know, we've spoken about this. I think it's a very well-made documentary. Um, I think you show a lot of perspectives and you do it very, very well. Um, but all, all I meant by that is, is what kind of reception are you seeing? Can you talk about the film circuit and talk about where it's headed in 2022? Um, the documentary went real well, and I think a lot of that was by design. One, one of the things I did in order to make sure it went well was I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just preaching to the choir. I didn't want to just make the film appeal, uh, palatable and appealing to people who are into woo or people who are into, you know, afterlife or size stuff. So I hired an editor named Christopher Seward who is on Michael Moore's team. Yeah. He knew how to make a film compelling for the majority of people. And so by kind of keeping it balanced, you know, we interviewed people who did, clearly did not believe in anything that had to do with the afterlife. And we had our protagonist who was clearly a cynic. She was not very skeptical about anything that had to do with the afterlife. And by having our protagonist go through a journey like this and really kind of she went through it kind of kicking and screaming she really was not that interested in contact with the dead um but by making it balanced in this way i think it will appeal to a large swath of the population luckily 
And it seems that based on the response from the film festival circuit, it won both best documentary and best feature. So that's fabulous. I really can't ask for, for more than that. And we do plan to have it on PBS sometime next year, probably late next year. That will happen. In the meantime, we're just doing private screenings. We're making the film available privately to folks. And we just, and we're mostly making it available um, for either a small screening fee or donation only. And if it's donation only, what we do is we re really request that people, if they feel like the film aligns with their own personal values and mission, if they see the value in helping people who have lost someone either recently or years ago, but they seem a little bit stuck and they need a little bit, a bit of a push. There are therapies out there that actually help prolong grief, um, complicated grief. These are disorders, bona fide disorders that keep people really in a kind of a debilitated state, sometimes for a lifetime. And by making this film and the information available in this film widely available, we hope to kind of put an end to that kind of despair. That's amazing. And I hope that that's exactly what this film continues to do. I hope that it continues to educate people. Um, I hope that it continues to help people. I hope it helps people grieving go and get this kind of therapy. Um, I know Jan Holden of IONS is very closely connected to it and she is, um, she does the real research. Um, but, you know, on that, uh, uh, in that vein, we also have lots of research on near-death experiences and people who die on the operating table have no blood flow to the brain at all and yet come back and talk about everything that happened in the operating room, which is impossible from a material materialist current western paradigm of medicine that we have but in general just based on what you were just saying it is a really great film it is doing good work and many many people need to see it so i am thanking you um for offering the two links um and for offering for the private screening through orb magic um again i try to make these podcasts less than 30 minutes but the podcast will be available today and this is uh november 29th and the private screening will be available this week for anybody who connects and clicks onto the links provided both on my website drchris1111.com and also through various different venues that we're going to advertise it um, and you continue to publicize and advertise it. I can't wait to see it on PBS. And I'm just curious, is there anything else you'd like to say about it? And do you have, I mean, what are your beliefs in the afterlife? Do you believe in life after death? Which <laughs> thought about that question, Christina, and I'm going to answer the same way that Alan Botkin answers that question regarding his therapy, this induced after death communication therapy, because he's asked that all the time. The answer is, it doesn't matter because this is a healing therapy. Yeah. yeah. And whether yeah. I or the, even the sitter believes in after-death communication or not, it happens. Even the people who don't believe end up doing well yeah. with this therapy because they're removing the trauma. They have the sense that their loved one is around them when that happens for some reason. And it works. So <laughs> I, let's take my personal beliefs out of the equation. Yeah, yeah. The therapy I, works. I, I, um, I really like I really like that answer, um, and uh, 
Uh, I'm here to say that whatever works to help people heal is awesome. I agree with you. Um, as, as an evidential medium who can demonstrate um, my abilities with scientists, including the orb photographs, um, I think it's a nice collaboration. <laughs> I think um, I do believe in the afterlife and, and talk to the dead quite regularly and can prove it. But I agree with everything you just said also, as especially in my more philosophy professor sense. Um, so again, I just want to thank you and your crew and your writers and you you and I have talked about how there are a lot of people involved in making this documentary and you've had a lot of help and an entire amazing crew and the people who agreed to be in the documentary including the family that is running throughout the whole uh, theme of the documentary they were very brave to be on film um, and if there's anything else you'd like to say I will also list the link where everybody can go to watch the film all I would have to add on to what we've just said is that um, I just found out this year that PBS is not free. It actually costs <laughs> the filmmakers money to get on PBS. So I'm going to ask if people are interested, think that the film is important and think that it could help a lot of people, please donate. You have the opportunity to donate zero if you can't afford to donate. But if you can donate something, the minimum suggested donation is $10 but you could donate anywhere from zero to a million. <laughs> the, the, the website, this virtual theater platform will take anything that you offer. I like, uh, I like um, the way that you say that. I like the way you say that. And if, you, if anybody is interested in uh, this, again, the links will be in multiple places, but you can go to one particular place, very easy to do. Um, which is www.livingwithghostmovie.com double backslash orb magic. Again, that's www.livingwithghostmovie.com backslash orb magic. Um, and I'll put it on my website. And I just want to thank you, Stephen, for dedicating your time today to this. And um, just thank you for being here. You're welcome. <laughs>